What's up, everyone? Once again, this is your ever-humble host, Mr. Happy Harry Hardon, coming at you again on Substack. It's been a minute since I last posted, and I do apologize for that. You know life, how that goes. Uh, I think the last time I posted or was trying to post was on May 4th. May the 4th be with you. Belated, may the 4th be with you. Getting ready for Obi-Wan coming up next week. Wow, that's going to be that's gonna be something. Still working on the Cryptonodes. Well, actually, not working on the Cryptos any, any longer as much uh, other than on the second installment of it, already brainstorming, getting everything together for the follow-up book, uh, which will be dealing with the Hollow Earth, among other things that go bump in the night. We actually just finished sending all the rest of the books off, including our international orders, uh, a few domestic orders that were left over, and I am very, very excited um, to present the book to these people, these fine people that believed in us over the sea, across the ocean, so to speak. You know, when you're writing a book of this uh, nature, or this magnitude, it's, uh, it's something. When people across the pond, so to speak, or whatever you want to call it, um, are interested. Interested in what you have to say, interested in what you're presenting. We received a lot of, uh, I guess, good reviews so far. There hasn't been anything that has been uh, negative for for the book, which is very, very surprising. You don't get me wrong. I believe in, in what I'm writing, and I'm writing it with all the passion in the world. And, of course, I, I do expect some sort of uh, feedback if I did something wrong or if I didn't uh, deliver in any respect. But uh, the reviews are saying that everything that I promised in the book, everything that 656 Comics promised in the book, has been delivered, and then some. People are very, very happy with uh, the end result. All the time and all the effort that's been spent into delivering the book and to making it the best possible is working out, and I'm very, very proud of that. Throughout uh, the creation of the book, there was a lot of doubt, a lot of hesitation as to what I was doing because it was very far-fetched. I mean, the, the type of story that I'm presenting is very epic, and um, I needed an artist that would be able to present that as well, and I found that in Dario Rodriguez. He's not just an artist, man. Honestly, he is my co-creator on this book because without him, the book would not have the vision and scope that it does, and I'm very, very proud to admit that. Dario's the man. You know, what can I say? A lot of my ideas have uh, been derived from the things that I've experienced in my lifetime growing up. A lot of occult stuff that's gone on, you know, the first time that I saw Yorona, uh, a bunch of different things that have happened in my life when I was growing up. My family, it seemed, was very, very heavily involved in the occult. And I was just, uh, I guess, too naive to notice it growing up. It wasn't until later years that I finally figured it out. And that's a little bit scary because when you're a kid, you think that everything's like sunshine and flowers and um, you know, there are no dark, dark corners of your family. But um, apparently there was. There was a lot of dark corners in my family and a lot of things that were kept in the dark about uh, the stuff that they did. And you know what happens when you start thinking and reflecting upon those instances in your life where you question things. You start realizing that um, this stuff was going on around you, but you were too blind to, uh, to see, or too innocent, rather, to see what was really happening. The darkness that infiltrated my life has been there all along, and it wasn't until in later years that I finally accepted it and came to uh, realize that it was a part of me. It was something that I had to deal with, and... Um, you know, may perhaps express myself about it in some way, shape, or form. And uh, please pardon the background noise. I'm in my office once again, and uh, it's the 
the truck seems to be rattling a little bit, so please excuse any um, you know noise that you may hear in the background. But as I was saying, you come to realize that things aren't as peachy keen as you think they are growing up. And uh, once you realize that and you start finding out things, you either accept it and deal with it and try to mold it into your life or you know make it a part of who you are, or you go to therapy and uh, talk about your feelings and uh, try to figure out what went wrong growing up. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but it's just interesting that uh, it just depends, I guess you could say, on how you choose to deal with uh, with trauma, if you want to call it that, you know, chaos, misery, trauma, all of that shapes our lives growing up, and uh, it's up to us to, you know, to be able to figure out what to do with it. Everyone deals with, with these issues differently, with these um, events in their life very, very differently. I remember one time someone told me that it seemed that I was always walking around with a black cloud over me, as if I was inviting this negative energy to just surround me all the time. And in a way, I guess they weren't wrong, but at the same time, it was how I dealt with it. I chose to just have it there for people to see and to indulge in it and to kind of, I don't know if you want to call it frighten people away, but it would keep them at bay. People that were kind of interested in what I was doing were a little bit taken back by my cynicism and uh, the lack of a better phrase, my acceptance of the dark, if you want to put it that way. And that's something else, too, acceptance. Acceptance is a very, very strong word to use in this type of situation. Because um, if you accept something, then you believe it to be true. And that's something that I have never really come to terms with. I've accepted certain aspects of uh, things that I witnessed and um, experienced growing up. But as far as fully accepting something for what it is, um, it took me more than enough uh, time to do the research and figure out what was really um, underneath it all. And all of this derived from my experience with La Llorona. Yes, La Llorona, the mythical uh, Medea, the Mexican Medea, you might say. And I guess that's what we're here for, right? As far as this podcast or Substack podcast is concerned, to hear the story of La Llorona as far as my side of things are concerned um, and what happened and what led me on this road of paranormal investigation and research into the occult, cryptids, ghosts, UFOs, you name it, man. I've dabbled in all of it. And uh, I, I, it's been a lot of, a long, a long time since I've uh, kind of experienced some of the true horrors that I experienced early on in my life. Um, now and then I still see certain things. I still get the, you know, the sensation of the, the negative energy, the darkness being around. And um, it's a little bit frightening, but I've learned how to deal with it, how to cope with it and not let it drag me into its, uh, itself. Not let it be, um, I don't know how you would call it, all-encompassing, I guess you could say. But before we get into the story, let me give a fair warning. Of course, um, everything that I state did happen to me. I did bear witness to the stories that I tell. And um, it's it's some, some sort of a coping mechanism, I guess, to be able to tell these stories. And of course, I always um, litter it with, with humor, you know, sprinkle some humor on top of all the stories that I, that I tell. 
everyone, because that's the way that I've dealt with things over the years, with humor and uh, with uh, the cynicism, of course, of this dark humor aspect uh, of <laughs> my personality, I guess you could say. So, uh, listener, be warned. If you don't believe in this stuff, I understand. But if you do, then get ready, because um, this, is, um, this is my story about La Llorona. So when I was about 12 years old, um, my sister and brother-in-law lived out uh, in the boonies of El Paso, you might say. The place was called Moon City, and it was down the, I guess, the Socorro area of El Paso. During those times, that whole area was nothing but um, like cotton fields and things of that nature. There was an amusement park named Magic Landing, and from their house, you could see um, the amusement park. You could see it up on a hill. And uh, it, it went down into a valley from up there into the little valley area where there was nothing but cotton fields. And uh, there was usually sightings of different things in that area, mostly like cultists, I guess you could say. Um, people supposedly having like satanic rituals and uh, all this other craziness that would go on in that area. There was animal sacrifices, uh, mutilations, things of that nature were found in that area. And because this was the cotton fields, there was a lot of irrigation canals and one of those irrigation canals ran right behind my sister's house out here or out there rather in moon city let me explain the structure of the house so my brother-in-law um, had built their house out of the garage that was attached to the main house the main house was where his mother lived which is my sister's mother-in-law and uh, the garage was a perfect square, like if you can imagine a perfect square. And when you drove up to it, there was a big concrete driveway that led up to the garage. And as it was converted, he knocked out the front of the house and he made uh, a door. And it was this big oak door. Like I remember it was very, very thick. It was almost like a half a foot thick. That's how thick the door was. And it was very, very heavy. And around the door was cinder blocks that he had used, um, you know, to cover up the front. So the cinder blocks all sat, um, not a lot of them were, I guess, accurately placed. So it was weird because at night you could see light coming in through the cinder blocks because there was no insulation in the front of the house and uh, the big oak door right in the middle. And the way that the room was shaped was as soon as you walked in through the door immediately to your left, there was another door that went out into the backyard where the dogs were uh, in and then in front of you was the living room. Immediately to your left after walking into the living room was a little hallway area where the kitchen was. And it shot into the back where the main bedroom was and uh, bathroom. And the main bedroom had windows kind of uh, raised up a little bit from where the bed sat. And you could look outside into the backyard. And uh, there was a short little, I guess, uh, gap between the backyard and the backyard fence. And behind the fence, there was an irrigation ditch. And behind that, there was it just stretched on as far as, uh, you know, a cotton field was, uh, was concerned. So you have to remember the way that the, the garage door, or rather the garage room, was set up. Because um, this one weekend, my brother-in-law had gotten a satellite dish. And there's an age gauge right there if you want to know how long I've been around. Uh, back then, that was the only way to get any sort of cable in that area. It was to have a satellite dish. And he had gotten a satellite dish and he had invited me over during a weekend to stay. And his mentality or his idea was to have me over so that uh, we could watch the Playboy channel. And uh, my brother-in-law was kind of like a biker type guy. He was a carpenter. 
And uh, he was like, hey, Raymond, get us, uh, you want to come over and, uh, you know, we'll set up the satellite dish and we'll watch uh, the Playboy Channel. And, um, you know, I was 12, so hormones are going crazy. Playboy Channel, fuck yeah, that sounds good to me. Let's do it. My sister cleared it with my parents and off I was on a Friday night to go stay uh, the weekend at my sister's house. So like I said, as soon as you walk into the garage uh, door or whatever you want to call it, the house that he had built for them, immediately in front of you was the living room. There was one couch that uh, stood in front of you against the wall and one to your right. And uh, the TV was there. And back in the day, if you wanted to watch anything on satellite, you had to wait until a certain time of night in order to watch it. So, of course, Playboy Channel, got to wait till midnight, and then you can watch, um, you know, the program. So I remember that my sister had bought pizzas. Brother-in-law was drinking his quart. You know, the kids had gone to bed. My sister stayed up with us for a while, and then she went to bed. And uh, we waited until midnight. And, of course, everything was set up with the satellite. It fixed on the signal, and boom, boobs. Boobs all over the place because the Playboy channel was on, and myself was in my prepubescent or puberty stage of, you know, discovering what it was that uh, turned little kids on, I guess, if you want to call it that. That's kind of weird to say, but, um, yeah, I mean, I was, I was 12. What do you expect, you know? We were watching it, and somewhere along the ways, I passed out. I don't know what happened but I fell asleep on the couch that was immediately to your right when you walked into the room. Brother-in-law was on the other couch. So all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, I hear boom, 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 boom against the door. Dogs are barking outside. Everyone's, like, you know, all the dogs are going crazy. Everyone's asleep inside uh, the room or rather the little tiny apartment area, whatever you want to call it. But the door, once again, boom, 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 boom. It's knocking loud, loud knocking on the door, this big, heavy oak door. And I sat up in, on the couch. I go over to the door to, to open it because I heard someone banging on it. And it keeps banging on it. Dogs are going crazy. I'm about to open the door. I have my hand like right on the handle to open the door. And my brother-in-law shoots up from the couch where he was lying. And he sits up and he's like looking at me with this look of like shock uh, in his eyes. And he's like, do not open the door, Raymond. He called me Raymond. Okay. Hey, Raymond, um, don't open the door. It's La Llorona. If you open the door, she will come in here and take us all. And my, my mind is like, what? What the? I mean, did you smoke weed before you went to bed? Which probably he did. Dogs are going crazy. I'm looking at him. I have my, ha my hand on the handle. I'm about to open it. And then, and then it happened. It started. This wail that I can't even mimic. This, this I, I don't even want to try, but just... If you hear someone in misery, someone that has lost the will to live, someone that has devastated, that is the sound that whatever was against the door on the other side was making. So when it started wailing, the dog shut up, silence, across the yard. And this thing kept going, and it kept going and, and wailing and screaming. But the thing that scared me, the one thing that scared me, and to this day I can still hear it, and every time I tell this story, it's the same exact thing. The thing that scared the living shit out of me was that it took a breath. And it wasn't just a regular breath. It was a breath of someone that was gurgling on liquid, on water or something. And they were trying to breathe. And they were trying to take another breath or swallow another en enough air to keep them alive or something. It just sounded horrible. Like, <coughs> I, can't e I can't even make the sound that it made. And as soon as it made that sound, everything just went weird in my mind. Everything went 
went south, I guess you could say. And it kept going, but like seemed eternity. My sister came out of the back room and she's standing there. And I'm standing there trying not to open this door, having this like, ah, this compulsion to open the door. And, and I wanted to see what was making this noise. And she, she's trying to get me to come back to the, to the, to the, the, the sofa to sit down. And she's like, come, come sit down. This is happening again. And I'm like, what? Happening again in my head? It just wouldn't register. It, 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 I didn't understand what was going on. But I forced myself. And that was the hardest thing I ever did. I forced myself away from the door. And I went and I sat down on the couch. I sat down on the sofa. And I sat there for what like seemed hours as this thing kept going and making this sound, this wailing sound. And finally, finally, after what seemed like an eternity, it stopped. And when it stopped... Immediately, the dogs started barking again, but, but there was this light, a light the, the, like the sun, as bright as the sun, came in through the cinder blocks, through the cracks in the cinder blocks, and underneath the door, through around the door frame where there was any sort of space where you could see outside or you could get outside, this sunlight, bright as sunlight, came in and illuminated everything in the room, and it was the most eerie feeling or that I got the most eerie experience that I ever <clears throat> look I'm even getting choked up just talking about it it was just bizarre to witness this and then all of a sudden it just dimmed out like real weird like if like if you just turn the lights out on a car and they just dim out and then they go into non-existence that's what ended up happening there and it was just the most terrifying experience the most terrifying feeling i had this feeling that i was on the verge of seeing something that mortal eyes should never see and that scared me my 12 year old mind couldn't register and all that would come out was what was that and i cussed you know and, and it was during that time it was kind of difficult for me to cuss because i was a kid i was like what the fuck was that and i said that out loud and my sister and my brother-in-law both stared at me and they said don't worry about it don't worry about it go to sleep. We'll talk about it in the morning. And I was like, what? How the, f how the hell am I supposed to go to sleep now? But sure enough, I tried. I, I lied down on the couch. I rolled over and the, the sound just kept playing in my mind. The dogs just kept barking forever and ever. And I didn't know what to do. And sure enough, the next morning, the next morning I woke up and the first thing, the first thing that I said I don't even remember how the hell I got to sleep that night, but the first thing in the, the next morning that I said as my sister was there cooking eggs for us, I said, what the hell was that? What was that? And she said, La Llorona, but don't worry about it. How am I not supposed to worry about this? She's like, don't worry about it. We'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it some other time. And I was like, what? What do you mean we'll talk about it some other time? What do you mean we'll talk about it later? And I would go to find out that that later would come years, years later. Very, very long time. And I will continue this story in part two of when I experienced La Llorona. So thank you guys for joining me. That was the first part of the story. And I appreciate you listening. Um, but the next part is coming very, very soon. I won't, I won't spend too much time away this time. And uh, I'll get this next part out to you guys. Thank you for making the Cryptonauts a success once again. And Excelsior. I'll talk to you very, very soon.